0: Okay, would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And if you'd like to use a smartphone or a mobile device, you'll see how to access it behind me. Or if you'd like to use paper, uh, it was handed to you as you came in. You've always got access to that in the lobby as well. And we're starting a new series that I am so excited about called The Other Six Days. And why I love this is because there's a common complaint about pastors. And that is that we don't talk enough about your work. And this is what we do more than anything else. We work. We work, you know, probably more than we sleep. We work more than we do a lot of other things. And yet, if you've been in churches for a while, you know that we tend to talk a lot about this day, the first day of the week, Sunday, worshiping God, studying his word, having fellowship, connections. We talk about what to do after work, serving God, having a quiet time. We talk a lot about that stuff. So we hardly ever talk about work, and so we 're going to change that here at the hub over the next six or seven weeks we 're going to have a series on how God looks at your work, a biblical perspective on work, kind of a theology of work and so I am so pumped about this because you know whenever you teach on a part of the Bible that it 's hardly ever taught on like a series on Habakkuk it 's just kind of cool because you know we tend to always preach on Philippians and John and Romans and ones like that. but how often do we do one of the minor prophets well this Subject is kind of the minor profits of the uh, topics that uh, churches uh, deal with. And and it shouldn't be because we spend more time in work than anything else. Now, Pastor Lisa and I are going to kick things off tonight, but I want to give you a little advertisement. Um, he's going to hate me for doing this because he's sitting here tonight. But next Sunday night, what an opportunity. Dr. Paul Kack from Azusa Pacific is going to be sharing with us next Sunday night. You're going to want to do anything you can to be here next Sunday night. We're going to want to bring a friend with you. Because, I mean, you know how wonderful it is when you just happen to have an expert in the house, and Dr. Cack has has spent his life in ministry figuring out this whole thing about how we can look in a Christian way at our work. As a matter of fact, if I've got this right, Paul, uh, by the way, raise your hand, Paul, so you can be uh, fully humiliated here tonight. Okay. Um, You know, Paul, uh, my understanding of his job at Azusa Pacific is helping them integrate faith and whatever their subject matter is. So, for example, how does a biologist, uh, how can you do Christianly biology? How can you do physics in a Christ-centered way? How can you do business? How can you uh, do social, social work? Everything, every subject matter. He's in charge at Azusa Pacific of helping each area to integrate their faith. So, it's not just the Bible majors that know that they're integrating their faith, but every major, every Occupation. Every vocation is Christ-centered and looked at. How can our work be an offering of worship to God? So he's going to be sharing next Sunday night. It is going to be awesome and really encourage you to come and bring a friend. But let me kick things off here. You'll see down here, uh, Lisa's going to talk in a minute about uh, vocation, the root of that word. But integration of faith and work. Integrating the two together. Tim Keller uh, writes, Martin Luther and John Calvin argued that all work, even so-called secular work, was as much a calling from God as the ministry of a monk or as a priest. So Ken Hall, that means whenever you do construction work, you are a monk or a priest. How do you like that? You're a priest that's married, so that's a little sketchy, but at any rate, you're a monk or a priest. Uh, Pete Dewhurst, whenever you work on a car, you that is just as holy work as a monk in a monastery or a priest leading a church. And so whatever your vocation is, that is a holy calling. There's a Lutheran tradition from Martin Luther back in the Reformation that when we work, we are the fingers of God. Whatever you do in your work, okay, I see our doctor back here, and I see people in different professions all as I look over over the the room. Uh, Whenever you do that, you are the fingers of God. Now, traditionally through the years, here are some of the different approaches ...that we've taken towards how you can make your work a holy calling. Uh, And there are many different ones. And what we're going to try for in this series... ...is an overarching integration of our faith within our work. Kind of a principle that binds all of these together. But here are some of the different approaches that have been tried. The way to serve God at work is to further justice in the world. And so whatever you're doing, you're trying to work for fair wages. You're trying to work for justice in the marketplace. Um, my niece is an up-and-coming executive at the Hershey Company. And uh, Pastor Tomiko doesn't, you know, you would love my niece if you met her. But she is, uh, you know, she's. Uh, I'm always saying to, it's kind of cool because uh, my niece, you know, I'm able to, like, one-up her. Oh, we would never allow Hershey on our campus, you know, oh my goodness. And so she has taken that challenge to try to have their uh, human trafficking stuff and their work things more just within the Hershey chocolate company because they've been known for having weaknesses in that particular area. Or here's another one. The way to serve God at work is to per- be personally honest. That is to be godly in the way you conduct yourself and evangelize your colleagues. Now, this is kind of our approach, okay? That's, this is oikos, okay? You build bridges. Work is to build bridges by which you can share Christ as part of your oikos, the 8 to 15 in your sphere of influence. Here's another one. The way to serve God at work is, to, is just to do skillful, excellent work. So whenever you do excellence in your work, that is an act of worship to God. The way to serve God at work is to create beauty. And so if you are um, you know, an architect, if you are uh, working in, in some area where you are creating something, or maybe even if you're an attorney, a beautiful legal document, or uh, you, know, you fill in the blanks, or, or if you're in, in nursing, you know, a beautiful IV, I don't know. But in whatever you do, you try to create beauty and excellence in your work. The way to serve God at work is to work from a Christian motivation Uh, To glorify God, seeking to engage and influence culture to that end. And so you're trying to influence culture through your work. I have another nephew, and he's like a top and -and up-and-coming immigration professor. And he and my niece there, he's at the University of South Carolina. And so he sees his work. This kind of bleeds over into the justice thing. But how can I look as a Christian at the immigration influence? How can I, as a Christ follower, influence that particular area? My daughter Abby is a legislative director on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. So every piece of legislation that comes through her desk, she's trying to say, as a Christ follower, how can I influence Culture? How can I bring justice through that particular piece of legislation? Here's another one The way to serve God at work is to work with a grateful, joyful, gospel changed heart through all the ups and downs. I'll have to come up with this quote, and and I'll do a better job. Forgive me. It's off the cuff right now. One of the most beautiful quotes I remember from Martin Luther King Jr. is about being a street sweeper with all of your heart uh, for the glory of God. And I'll have to come up with that quote. But it's a beautiful quote about whatever we do, we do it with joy as if we're serving the Lord. The way to serve God at work is to do whatever gives you the greatest joy and passion. Uh, My favorite movie is Chariots of Fire. And there's that famous line in it where Eric Little says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And so his sister wanted him to give up running for the Olympics and to just do missionary work in China. And he said, you know, I just can't do that because whenever I run... I feel God's pleasure. And so in your area of work, what is your work? Whatever you do, uh, whatever you're doing at work, if you do it and it's your passion and you're fulfilling yourself, and through that uh, you are bringing glory to God if you feel his pleasure and bringing the heart of God joy as you do that with excellence. And then another approach that has been the way to serve God at work is to make as much money as you can so that you can be as generous as you can be. And this was from John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church. And it's the basis of what we call the Protestant work ethic. And it goes like this. Earn all that you can, save all that you can, so you can give away all that you can. And that's the foundation that really built our nation, the Protestant work ethic. You work all that you can, you save all that you can, so that you can give away to people in need all that you can. So that's been another approach. But we're going to try to come up with, um, like Stephen Hawking in physics. Uh, Paul, you're going to give us the one theory to rule them all, the one theory to bind them, okay? One theory to kind of bring them all together and to look at our work in a Christian way. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work. Uh, This series will try to answer three questions. Why do you want to work? Okay, it's interesting. Why is there something within you that makes you enjoy working? Why do people sometimes put off retirement? Uh, my dad, uh, his uh, a co-president and co-owner of Payne and Gunderson Lumber Company, uh, my dad, he couldn't wait till he hit sixty-five, so then he could hunt and fish and canoe all day long, you know. But my dad's business partner. He's still working into his 90s. Now, there's something to be said. He's still alive. My dad's not. My dad was older, so that's part of that. But he's in his 90s because he just loves work. What is it within us that enjoys and loves work? But on the other hand, why is it so hard to work? Okay, I really believe that heaven is going to be work without any of the hassle. What is it that's a hassle? If you could do what you love to do with all your heart, but there'd be none of the downside to it. Okay? Okay? That would be heaven, wouldn't it? You'd be fulfilling your passion, but there'd not be any of the difficulties at work. None of the difficult people. None of the things that make your work hard. Um, as Lisa talked about on Good Friday's service, none of the thorns that came for the farmers, like Farmer Randy. Now, you know, when he farms, it's, it's his joy, it's his passion, but no hot sun, no thorns, no downside to farming. That will be heaven for, for Farmer Randy in heaven. I can only imagine the fields he will produce. Uh, how can we overcome the difficulties and find satisfaction in our work through the gospel? Next page, and I'm just going to go through this one quickly, the design of work. Genesis chapter 2, it's fascinating that God loves to work. And we were made in the image of God. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And you see that repetition of the Hebrew word, which the consonants are MLKH. It means ordinary human work. God likes to work. And we were made in his image, we have God's, our Heavenly Father's DNA, so we enjoy work. It says in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God loves to work, and so we made in his image, we like to work. Psalm 104 uh, is a fascinating passage where it talks about God continues his work. It wasn't just in creation, but he continues it. It says he makes springs, he waters the mountains, uh, he, the land is satisfied by the fruit of his work, he makes grass grow, he plants things, he makes the moon. He continues to work in his creation, and he enjoys the work. Psalm 145, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. Uh, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, The builders labor in vain. Uh, Ben Witherington writes, It is perhaps clear that God's good plan always included human beings working, or more specifically, living in the constant cycle of work and rest. Uh, Jesus said in John 5, 17, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Uh, Just a few quotes to wrap up, and then Lisa's going to come up. Tim Keller writes, Work is one of the ways we make ourselves useful to others rather than just living a life for ourselves. Also, work is one of the ways we discover who we are, because it is through work that we come to understand our distinct abilities and gifts, a major component in our identities. Dorothy Sayers writes, What is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he or she offers themselves to God. Uh, Isaiah says that he teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go. He wants to teach us how to work in a way that will be a blessing to us and not a burden. And this is interesting to me. I never thought of it. Sometimes you, you flip a verse. We emphasize one part of a verse, and so we ignore the other part of the verse. Look at one of the Ten Commandments there in Exodus 20, verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now, we think that that's just kind of a blah, blah, blah to get to the other part rest on day seven. But think about it one of the ten commandments is to work on six days. And that interesting thing of it the other way maybe we've had it wrong all these years. You know, the emphasis is on the Sabbath part. It's not, we haven't had it wrong. But at any rate, the emphasis is on the Sabbath part, but really, this is also a command to work. For the other six days, you are obeying a commandment of God when you get up and go to work uh, tomorrow morning. John Calvin writes, Did God create food only to provide necessity, nutrition, and not also for delight and good cheer? So too the purpose of clothing, apart from necessity, protection, was comeliness and decency. In grasses, trees, and fruits, apart from their various uses, there is beauty of appearance and pleasantness of fragrance. Fragrance. Did he not, in short, render many things attractive to us apart from their necessary use? And what that means, getting away from fancy Reformation John Calvin talk, is basically work is not just to get the thing done. There is to be an act of worship and joy in the work as well. Uh, Cecil B. Alexander. And by the way, I guess this is, uh, where is she up there? Put her up there. Cecile F. Alexander, that is a lady, right? Yeah, that is a one. I always thought it was Cecil. I've seen that a hundred times. I thought it was a guy. I thought it was a dude, you know, and I guess it's a, it's a Cecile. Is that the way you spell Cecile? Okay, I, I guess that's what Cecile F. Alexander, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all, including our work. Okay, now to finish this up. Would you welcome me, Pastor Lisa Tony? Come on up. Good,
1: good, good. Okay, so my very first job that I got a paycheck for, I was a donut froster. No joke. Did you know this job existed? Okay, so if you did not work in like corporate donut America, if you worked for a little mom and pop store that had a little bakery donut place, you actually, they cooked the donuts, they came out, and there was someone who was paid to take the donuts that were very hot and pick them up and then dip them in the frosting. That was my very first job that I got a paycheck for, so... Yeah, I got to lick my finger. No, I didn't get to lick your fingers. Okay, so who remembers what minimum wage was when you got your first job? Dollar ninety-five, three forty-five. Anyone else? Dollar fifty-six minimum wage. Seventy-five cents minimum wage. All right. So we have come a long way, baby, right, with um, our, our jobs that we start with versus maybe where we are today or the jobs we aspire to. So we thought it'd be fun if you have got a piece of paper or maybe the Connect card in front of you, just to jot down, we would love to know what your profession is. What is your job? We'd love just to collect those in the back so as we do this series about work, um, we can kind of get a feel for our people and our community and what do you consider your job or your profession, your vocation? to be. So um, if you, you know, you're a homemaker, that is your profession, your job, your work, that's fine. Um, go ahead and just jot that down, and then um, maybe we'll have um, Pastor Greg or Pastor go collect those on the way out, and so we can get a sense for those. That'll be fun for us to, to get a, a, a little peek at. Well, um, the word vocation, as Pastor Glenn mentioned, um, it actually comes from the Latin. And the word means to call. So it's your calling or the, the work that you do is meant to be your calling. So, you know, I think most of the time for us when we have to get up on a Monday morning, it doesn't feel like we're so called, right? You just am like, where is the alarm clock? And you either jump out of bed or you throw your alarm clock across the room, right? Or who, who's a jump out of bed kind of person? Anybody? Anybody? Who's the throw your alarm clock across the room kind of person? Okay, so I have a one-year-old, and so she usually wakes us up. She's usually the one that's up early um, the most. And the other day, my daughter, who is six, was on spring break, and she just happened to get up early, early. And I said, honey, um, did the baby wake you up? And she said, no, mommy, my eyes just filled with joy, and I just opened my eyes. I'm like, oh, now that's the way to get out of bed, right? My eyes just filled with joy. I'm like, she's teaching me here how I ought to get up in the morning. Well, um, you know, God wakes you up every morning. God wakes you up every morning with things to do, whether that's to go to work or things that you need to accomplish in your household, um, ways that you need to occupy your time. But work is something that God has given to us because it is a part of our human dignity. Work is something that gives us dignity as a human being, and God wants us to see that work as a gift to us, something that he created for us to to take hold of, something for us to jump out of bed to do, and he did that from the very beginning of time, even in um, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Uh, Work is God's gift. Let's look at this scripture. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may. Okay, so here's the job description. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. Have you ever thought, even on those bad days of work, that work was a part of paradise? We think of Garden of Eden as the paradise, right? That they just walked the beautiful garden and ate raspberries and pomegranates. But work was part of the plan in paradise. And, you know, in our culture, culture often has this kind of idea about work, that it's something that we have to do. Like, oh, I have to go to work. Oh, it's Monday morning again. I have to work. But the biblical attitude about work is something that's very different from what the world tells us. That work isn't something that we have to get out of bed to do. But work is something that we were made for. That we were made to work. And work is meant to be a fulfillment of our nature as beings made in God's image. So if we continue to look in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It says, so God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So being happy about going to work isn't just an attitude that we have. I mean, it really is something that God created hardwired in us that we can find some joy in the work that we do. And I think it's really the lie of the enemy or just the, the pressures of this world that says work is not something you should n- enjoy. Work is something that is just, you know, you have to do. Um, but we really can change our attitude about the approach that we have to work. Now, one of my <clears throat> first jobs after being a donut froster, I got some skills, and I went into the workforce as a waitress. And I worked um, as a waitress all through high school, um, all through college. That was my job of um, I, I, during the summers, and... Um, put those checks in the bank to help pay for college. And I used to work at this little, tiny, just mom-and-pop restaurant. It had, like, six tables and a booth. I mean, it was tiny. It was a family restaurant. It was, um, it was fun. I liked it. I had friends that worked there. My sisters worked there. It was great. Until I started hearing the rumors that down the road from me, there was a competing restaurant called the Cut River Restaurant, and I heard the girls who were waitressing there were making twice as much money as I was. So I started thinking, well, I need to get in on this. And so I got, I applied and I got hired there and I got a job there and I was miserable. I left a job that I loved for the grass is greener on the other side. I had a sleazy boss. I did not enjoy the environment, and I ended up pleading with God, God, take me away from this job and put me back to where I was happy. And so I really began to understand or begin to understand a lesson of when you are in a job um, and you start to find some satisfaction in what you're doing, um, to be careful about the temptations that lie out there, out there, that you think the grass is always greener on the other side. So much of what we do in our work is um, an attitude about what we take and what we do with what God has given us. Um, We're not just work cogs in a machine. Sometimes we think, man, I am just a work cog. I just, you know, nobody knows or values me or appreciates what I do. Um, But we are not part of a machine work reflects the image of God as our creator. Now, God, in essence, he really modeled for us this kind of creative joy that he wants us to have in producing something. Because if you think about those scriptures in Genesis, only humans were the ones that were actually given a job description of something to do. Plants and animals were called to team and reproduce. Like, they, that's what their existence was about, to exist, to team, and reproduce. But only humans were given this job description to subdue and rule the earth, that they had a job to do with all of what God had given them in creation. Genesis 1.18 says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the, ski, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, I talk to people all the time, and it's tempting sometimes to think that, I mean, the world seems to tell us that there's kind of this dual approach to work, that we have our spiritual life, and that's what we do on Sunday, right? Um, That we believe in God, and we are a person that um, worships God, and loves God, and hears from God on Sunday. But then The rest of those days, those six days, we go to work. And that work is something that begins to define us, that that's what tells us who we are or what our worth is, is in your paycheck or your accomplishments or how far up the chain you get in your job. Um, And, you know, when we buy into that lie that culture or society tells us that our worth is in our work, it really sets us up for disappointment because what happens if you lose your job? What happens if you get laid off? What happens if you get fired? What does that tell you about your worth? Does our worth rest in our work, in our job? It's not who we are. It's a part of what God made us to do. Who we are, our identity always lies in who Jesus created us to be. And the other aspect of this kind of worldview that you are in your, who you are in your work is it really sets our work or our career up to be an idol. Has anyone ever known someone who's a little bit too much of a workaholic? I mean, I personally, I have to admit, I struggle with it. I love my job. I love working, and I can have a tendency to lean into workaholism because it's easy and it's comfortable for me. Because I love what I do, and I get great satisfaction out of accomplishment and work. Um, but when we when we um, when we set ourselves up to find our satisfaction in in building that career up as almost like a a god or as an idol, um, it takes us away from making sure that we have our true adoration, our true focus on the God who created us to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with other people. And so we really have to fight against what the world or society tells us in terms of what we think about work. One of the cool things about work is that it really helps us with an identity because work distinguishes us from the complete animal world that God created. Um, Have you ever seen those pictures of people that kind of, you know, look like they're pets? Right? Okay. Have you ever... I I won't ask you if you look like your pet. Um, In seventh grade, I had a poodle, and in seventh grade, poodle perms were really a big deal. So I'm not even going to show you the picture of me with my poodle pet and my poodle hair, but it's awesome, I just have to tell you. Okay. So, um, okay, work distinguishes human beings from animals, okay? Listen to the scripture that talks about this. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You made them a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand, and you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas, that's Psalm. 8, 4 through 8. So as much as we love and we can appreciate animals, human beings are not on the same um, level as animals. Human beings are put above animals animals and below the angels. Um, God put them in a a position of animals just to basically survive. I mean, they, those little squirrels, they gather their nuts for the winter to survive, right? But for human beings, we're not called just to survive. Hard work is not enough of um, a satisfaction for our lives just to survive, um, we really work because God hardwired that into us to find joy, but also for us to kind of participate in this movement that he set in place in our planet. Because work has economic significance. You know, Genesis tells us that as the Garden of Eden was created, it became a source of food and a place of that you know, was a visual delight, of beauty for, for Adam and Eve. Adam was told to take care of the garden and to eat that fruit that grew on the tree and this was the very beginning of kind of an economic cycle. Because as he was tending to the garden, he was able to reap the benefits of his work. So this connection became um, a, a call to the work and the provision between it. As one of our God-driven, God-given god rights that we get to enjoy the fruit of our labor. So we start with the fruit in Genesis that God called Abraham, or Adam to... To tend, and then from that he received the fruit of his labor. And so this becomes an, the idea that we should get an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. So your work is a calling and a way to represent Christ to your world. And Pastor Glenn shared with us some of those ways that we can do that. And I think that it's no accident that as we begin to look at kind of the foundations for work, and we see that in the Garden of Eden and how God created us, that it starts in a garden, but the story ends in a city right? The city of God. So God's ultimate goal isn't to necessarily return us back to the garden, but for us to be part of this developmental culture that he has set into place with us, that we are cultivating, we are caring for the earth. And just as they were called to care for that garden, we are called to care for the civilization that God has set in motion for us. So what this means is that, um, you know, whatever our profession is, as long as it's not something that's morally, you know, immoral or unethical, but all professions have a point and a purpose in God's plan for pushing us forward towards God's ultimate redemption story, which ends in the city of God. So um, the people you work with, you know, they may only get a glimpse or a chance to see Jesus through you at your job. They may be, you may be the only Jesus that they get to see. And that is why it's so important that whatever our vocation is, um, whether it's something that um, is something that you absolutely feel like you are called and made to do, you feel God's pleasure in, or something that God has put you in for this season and this time in this place, that Regardless, we can be God's person in that position. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. So for us to pursue meaningful work, it means that the job that we wake up to, whether we jump out of bed when the alarm clock rings or whether um, we kind of have to groggily go, it means that we have an opportunity to see that as a purpose in God's plan and a purpose to be God's person in that environment. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So that changes our perspective, doesn't it? Um, when I was a waitress, I had an opportunity to get really good at stacking plates on my hand and memorizing orders and accidentally spilling coffee on customers who were a little bit annoying, but I had an opportunity to interact with people um, and share Jesus um, just through the, my behaviors and my words, even if I didn't get a chance to share the gospel with them at all the time. So how do we honor God at work? It's not just about putting on a happy face when we go to work, um, but it really is about being intentional with our behaviors and our words. Um, one of the things we can think about is behaving in a way that shows that our dependence when we are at work is not upon ourselves but upon God. That in all we do, our dependence is upon God. Another way is in our integrity, that we really model to the world around us that we are a person that what's our yes be yes and our no be no, that we are filled with integrity in the way that we work. With the skill that you do, you do it with the best intentions that you have, with to the best of your ability, you do that skill as to give glory to God. Um, one of the things um, that uh, is talked about and Glenn mentioned this a little bit is the idea of corporate shaping and I've looked at you know some of the different organizations that are run by Christians you guys are probably familiar with Chick-fil-A and there's this great video that they put together that really helps them have an awareness of everything that their customers are going through that they use to help shape their corporate culture to help people understand that they're not just serving chicken but they're serving lives, they're serving people. And so they really have an intentional approach about the culture that they're serving. And their job is to serve chicken, right? But they have an an opportunity for corporate shaping in all that they do. And that means that our lives can have an impact. It can have an impact at work, whether we're working with customers, whether we're working with our coworkers, whether we're working with our boss, whoever that is, that our lives can have an impact. The ways that we communicate at work have an opportunity to, um, you know, to share Christ, even if it's very subtly. If you can't, if you work in the public school and you can't talk about Christ, but we can model the things of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, against these things there is no law. And so we have that opportunity in our communication to model those things. Um, to love people, that we get to be the ones that first volunteer to go get the pizza or go get the Starbucks or help organize the, the uh, party at work, um, to really get to know people and, and not just know them at the work level but to know their lives as well on the money level, that work isn't just something that we earn money for, but we also give in generous ways. And then, of course, that we are people of thanks, and that we give thanks to God for life and health and work and Jesus, that we have that attitude in our work to be a person of thanksgiving, that we have a job, that we have the ability to work, um, that we can use these things for God's glory. So from the fruit of the garden to the fruit of our labor, to the fruit of the Spirit, we want to be people that use our work for all things to the glory of God. Jesus, thank you so much for the chance to just begin to start to think about um, the ideas of work, um, how you've established that in Scripture, and um, that you have created us for work and for jobs, Lord. And so I pray that as we continue in these next few weeks to um, think and and look and talk about these things, um, that you would just encourage our hearts, that you would challenge us, that you would help us to maybe reshape our idea of our job, our profession, our vocation, um, to see it as you see it. So we just commit ourselves to you. Um, We commit ourselves today on Sunday, and we commit ourselves to you for the rest of the six days this week. Um, May we work as unto you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.